The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemmanuel.net. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Ben, for leading us in worship. And it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Those of you who have been with us on a regular basis know that I've been teaching about the doctrine of grace. And we've been using as our primary text the book of Ephesians. And we will be there a little bit later this morning. But first, I want to ask you to join me in Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible... You're welcome to use the one that's right there in the rack in front of you. That's an English Standard Version. It's the translation that I preach from. If you don't have that version and you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that with you as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible and you'd like to give them that Bible as a gift, we would love for you to take it and use it that way. We're kind of... We're kind of in the Bible business. I know that many of you uh, prefer your phones, and that's just fine. I kind of know who you are because there's a glow on you. It's a holy glow. A halo's back here. A phone glow is here in the front. Um, but uh, I, uh, I also have the Bible on my phone. I use the Version app. It's free. Uh, there's lots of good apps, but I use that one. There's maybe 26 different translations on that app. It gives you... Uh, a devotion every day, a Bible reading plan. But if you go to menu and then go to events, it will also take you to Emmanuel Baptist Church. And it doesn't appear uh, seven days a week. It usually appears like on Saturday, Sunday, uh, as we get ready to meet. Um, And what it'll do is give you the scriptures that I'm going to read and also the sermon points as well. And so uh, I think even a place for notes. So I would encourage you at either one. But either way, I want you to not take my word for what I'm saying. I want for you to look at the Bible and see it is God's word. Because what we do is Bible study. It's not my opinion that counts. It's God's word. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue our study of grace. And in particular, this morning, I want to talk about the symbols of grace. And there are two symbols of grace given to us in the New Testament, and that is baptism. We'll look at that first in just a little bit. And then the Lord's Supper, and we'll look at that second, and that will lead us into partaking of the Lord's Supper together. So first, as we consider baptism as a symbol of grace, and we find ourselves in Romans chapter 6, we find that the Apostle Paul is really completing the thought that I taught about last Sunday. Now, I know a week ago is a long time, so let me remind you. Last week, we talked about that Satan, because he hates God and he attacks God, he also attacks God's plan of grace. And he, and he does it in two ways. First of all, in one extreme, he tries to nullify grace. And he does that by trying to convince us that we cannot be saved by grace alone, that, that we've, we've got to have some part of that ourselves, some part of our own 
good works. And so I, I'm doing things that I think are good. I'm doing things that I think are trying to get me to heaven. I'm keeping the commandments. I'm trying to be a good person. And we add that to God's grace and Jesus' saving death. And we put them together. And the Bible says, whenever you mix works with grace, grace stops being grace. Uh, another way the Bible says it is a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You, it's got to be all of grace or it can't be anything. And we talked about the fact that there really is no goodness in ourselves. And so there's no good works that we can bring to accomplish our own salvation. And when we try to do that, we nullify grace. On the other extreme are those who acknowledge it is all grace. It's completely grace. It has nothing to do with me or my good works. And since it has nothing to do with me, I really can continue to do whatever I want. I can sin because I can always get God's forgiveness because he's given me his grace. And this is to cheapen grace. It also so corrupts and pollutes grace that grace stops being grace. In fact, this is literally where Paul is in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 when he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Or or look at how he says it in verse 15. In verse 15 of the same chapter, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And in both places, he answers by saying, No way! In fact, what we discover is that the grace of God is so amazing, so immeasurable, so unsearchable. It saves us and changes us so that when you really have given your life to Christ, one of the things that happens is you don't want to sin. There are all kinds of things that happen when you get saved. Your your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes rushing into your life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll start to talk about that right here. Heaven becomes your eternal destiny. The Heavenly Father becomes your true redemptive Father. All of these things happen. But one of the things that happens to us when we're truly saved is that God changes our wanter. The Apostle Paul says, the things that I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore. And the things that I used to didn't want to do, that's not what I, that's what I want to do now. Your wanter is changed. You've got friends that don't know the Lord, and they would never want to be in church on a Sunday morning. Why? Well, the Scripture says there's still the natural man, the fleshly man, the earthly man. He doesn't want the things of the Spirit. He doesn't know the things of the Spirit. But I discovered this is where I want to be. I, 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 I enjoy the praises, the, the worship, the, the Bible study of being with one mind and like-minded people. I come out refreshed. This is what I want. Something changed in me. My wanter is changed, so I don't want to sin. If, if you think you've got grace so that you can just do whatever you want, then I want you to know you didn't get grace. You got, you got some kind of intellectual religiosity, some kind of irrational rationale, but you don't have real grace. In Romans 6, after this, the Apostle Paul is going to stop and talk about baptism. Now, he's talking about two kinds of baptism in one paragraph. Let me help you with it. The first is what I'm just going to call real baptism. It's Holy Spirit baptism. That's that's what actually saves you. In that moment when you give your life to Christ, and that's probably my favorite phrase, for justified, born again, being saved, converted, regenerated. I love the phrase, you give your life to Christ. He gave his life for me. The only real 
appropriate response. The only response that proves I've received that is I give my life to him. And at the cross, an exchange takes place. And Paul's going to talk about that here in this passage. But just as the Holy Spirit baptism is talked about, water baptism is a symbol, it's a picture of Holy Spirit baptism. Will you read with me now? We continue together. He starts with that. Are we to continue that sin may abound? Verse 2, no way. We'd never do that. How can we who died to sin? Now, this is the key. Jesus' death on the cross became my death. He died for me. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let me see if I can explain this to you in such a way that you'll understand it. Baptism is a symbol of God's grace. In particular, it's a symbol of how the grace begins. It's a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of being born again, of being saved. It's it's a symbol of that moment. In fact, in the New Testament, baptism is called our confession of faith. It's It's the public confession that I have given my life to Christ. And here's how it's a picture of that. Here's how it's a symbol of that. First of all, Jesus' crucifixion pays our sin debt so we have died with him. I'm going to teach this to you just like I teach it to children who have given their lives to Christ and I want them to understand what baptism really is. So when you, uh, come, uh, when you come into the baptistry and the water comes across you, that's a picture of the cross of Christ. It's a picture of death. And it's not just the death of Jesus, but what I told you is there was a There was an exchange that took place at the cross. You see, the wages of sin is death. It it should be my death. And so indeed it is my death. Jesus died for me. And when I receive that, then that death pays my sin debt. Let's talk about the sin debt just a little bit. In the Old Testament, what you have is what? The, you have the Old Covenant. You've got the people who come with a, a lamb or a, or a bull or a goat. And when they bring that to the priest and that animal is killed and the blood is caught, that didn't really pay their sin debt. In fact, the, the Old Testament word is it, it covered the sin. Uh, think of it this way. You go to the bank and get a loan because you're going to buy a new car. Uh, new for me would be like 1994. And so you get that loan so you can buy that new car, right? And uh, so they, they, there's two parts of that. There's the principal debt, the, the amount that you borrowed. And then there's the interest that you're going to pay back as well. Well, in the Old Testament, each time they, they brought a lamb or a goat, they were really just paying the interest. They were never paying the principal debt. And, and then in each year, for instance, on the Day of Atonement, the Lamb was slain, and then they waited for the Messiah to come for a whole year. And when the Messiah didn't come, they had to make an interest payment again. And so, that, again, the Day of Atonement came around again, but the debt was never paid. But then Jesus Christ, the capital L, Lamb of God, 
the, the one who was completely God and completely man, who lived a perfect life, and so he was a perfect lamb. He went to the cross, and when Jesus died, the Scripture, and I'm going to show you in several places this morning, he died once for all. He paid the entire debt, not just the interest, but the entire principle. All of that was paid in his death. And so that death is pictured when you stand in the water, and the water is a picture of the cross of Christ. But then we notice here in Romans chapter 6, he talks about our sins being buried with him. You see, since we've died with Christ, our sins are buried with him. And so the picture of baptism is one is in the water, and then they go underneath the water as a picture of burial. There's so many Christians that I meet, and they go, well, I know my sins are forgiven, so I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But they still live in the enslavement. They still live in the entrapment. They still live in the shame. They still live in the guilt, sometimes even in the continued addiction or bondage of the sins that they've been set free from. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It's just Satan continuing to tell you that you're trapped, you're addicted, he's holding you. You are free. You're you're in Romans 6. In my Bible, I just have to turn one page to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, speaking of our sins, it says, Therefore, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. The word condemnation means there's no guilt. There's no sin. There's no judgment. The judgment's all been put on Jesus. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit, that's the new covenant, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. David said in the Old Testament, blessed is the man whose sins are not counted against him. Jesus said, I choose to Put your sins away and remember them no more. How does God, who never forgets anything, choose to remember your sins no more? The answer is he can do whatever he wants. So if he chooses to, he remembers them no more. Here's the sad thing. Why is it that God remembers your sin no more, but you remember them every day? Why are you still living in that? Oh, I shouldn't have done this, and I shouldn't have said that, and I was really addicted to this, and before I came to Christ, I was really this, and right after I came to Christ, I I still did this. And Why are you living in the condemnation that God's grace has set you free from? And so that's what the picture of burial is. So when a person comes into the water, let me stop and say this, and I'm I'm not trying to be mean-spirited at all, okay? But this is... Baptism, physical water baptism, is a picture of these things. Only baptism by immersion is a picture of this. If you're sprinkled, that doesn't doesn't symbolize anything. You come in the water, you're buried, and then does the person stay under the water? I've had a couple of fathers who try to give me some money to keep their kids under a little bit. But no, the the picture is resurrection and... So we are raised again with Christ because of his resurrection to walk in new life. And this is really what we're talking about, about you being free from your sins, about your wanter being changed. You, you can live a new life. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Before, you didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, you succumbed to temptation. Yes, you gave in to the flesh. Yes, you were selfish. That's who you had to be. You didn't have anything divine in you. But now in Christ, everything's changed. Everyone in Christ is a new creation. You've been regenerated. You have a new heart. You have a new life. And because of God's grace, you can walk in that. That's what real Holy Spirit baptism is. And that's what immersion, biblical baptism, is as well. Let me add one more thing to the, to the picture of it, the symbol of it. You, you understand then th- that baptism doesn't save you. There's nothing about it that conveys grace. It's a picture of that. Uh, I'm wearing a wedding band on my ring finger to symbolize my marriage to Patrice. You know that people can wear a wedding band and not be married. You know that people can be married and not wear a wedding band. And so only it only makes sense when you both are married and wear the symbol of marriage. And so it is with baptism. There are people who have been in the church and they got baptized, but they never gave their life to Christ. That doesn't save them. That baptism doesn't mean anything. They just got wet. There are other people who have given their lives to Christ, but they've never followed the Lord in the obedience of baptism. And truly, it's a command from Jesus. Jesus said, we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was baptized. He goes on and he says, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before the Father. And the public confession, biblical public confession, is baptism. I say all that because there are some of you, and I know, you've never been biblically baptized. There was a time maybe when you were baptized, but you weren't saved. And now you've given your life to Christ, and you've never been biblically immersed, baptized since that time. Or maybe you were christened when you were a child, but that was a decision your parents made. You have to choose Christ yourself. And so I would encourage you, if there's never been a time where you have publicly confessed Christ through baptism, after you've given your life to Christ, I would encourage you to do that. There's a couple ways you could connect with us. You could take that part of the bulletin that tears off and say, I want to talk to somebody about being baptized. You could stop at the Welcome Center. You could, you could put it in the prayer line. And uh, one of our pastors will get with you and help you make that public confession so that you can be obedient. You can walk in fellowship with what God intends as a symbol of grace. There's a second symbol of grace, though, and that's the one that we're going to partake of this morning, the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper just a little bit. Before we leave Romans 6 and go to Ephesians, I want you to read with me verse 10. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. It says, for the death that he died. Now, the he is Jesus. So the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So when we start our conversation about how the Lord's Supper is a symbol of grace, it starts with the fact that our salvation is symbolized in one death. Jesus didn't have to die over and over and over again. He died once for all of us. In fact, if you'll flip with me over to Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see how important this idea of one death 
One Lord, one baptism, one faith. I want you to see it all in in one passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 begins in verse 1 by saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. So, let's make a distinction here. Baptism is a picture of God's grace that rushes into my life in the person of the Holy Spirit when I give myself to him. It happens at the moment of salvation. Baptism follows that. It's singular and it's about justification. The Lord's Supper is a picture of my continual walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of justification. The Lord's Supper is a picture of sanctification. In fact, the fact that it's a meal, the Lord's Supper, it comes out of the Passover meal, indicates its ongoing uh, uh, occasions in our life. You, You wouldn't think of just eating one meal once a month to sustain your physical body. That that doesn't make sense. And so we are to partake of the Lord's Supper regularly, periodically, to remind ourselves that we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is what the Lord's Supper is for. Let me see if I can help you. The Lord's Supper is given to us so that we will stop thinking about politics, thinking about the election, you're thinking about COVID, you're thinking about your kids, school's starting again, you're thinking about you need more money, you think, oh, what are you thinking about? So you get to the church and what happens? You, you start thinking about it. Preacher gets a little kind of boring, you start thinking about your stuff. The Lord's Supper is given to us so that we would stop and remember that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are to remember what our salvation cost. It was a tremendous cost. It cost Jesus Christ's life. Free to you and me by God's grace? Yes. But a tremendous cost. The wages of sin is death. Sometimes I meet Christians and they kind of talk like Jesus didn't really have to die for their sins because they're really pretty good people. He could have just like torn his ACL for their sins. Our our sin is wicked. It's iniquitous. It's depraved. There was no other way for you to be saved except by His death. And this causes us to stop and remember. Remember all those ones that I told you I was going to show you? Find verse 4. It says there's, let's count them. There's one body and one spirit. You were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. There's going to be one more one in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we discover that there is something unique and holy about what Christ Jesus did in that one sacrifice on the cross. There's something else that the Lord's Supper reminds us of. It reminds us that our salvation was accomplished through Christ's earthly body. Remember, that's one of the ones. One body, one spirit, one Lord. It was accomplished through his earthly body. Sometimes I meet people and they kind of talk like, oh, Jesus was ethereal. 
He was he was he was God, so he the the flesh part of his life wasn't really incumbent upon his experience. But what Jesus says in the Lord's Supper is when he takes the bread, he says, "This is my body, and it's broken for you." It you can touch it, you can feel it in a little bit. You will taste it. You will swallow it. It's tangible. He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood given for you. You remember the second time that Jesus appeared to the disciples? The first time he appeared to them, there was a notable absence. It was Thomas. And because he was absent, he's now been stuck with a really bad nickname for 2,000 years of church history. He's doubting Thomas. The second time Thomas is there, in this, in this loving gesture of, of reconciliation, Jesus says to Thomas, come here, Thomas. And remember what Thomas said? He said, I'm not going to believe unless I touch the nail scars in his hands. And so he says, come here, Thomas, and touch the nail scars. It's a real body. Jesus really took on flesh. Thomas really could touch them. You could hear them. It was flesh, it was blood, it was muscle, it's bone, it's sinew. And so the Lord's Supper has tangible elements in it so that we're reminded it was a real death. It took place in history. And it had to take place because Hebrews 9.27, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so this reminds me what my salvation actually cost. And then there's a third thing about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper teaches us that we were purchased with the blood of Christ. There's some people, they like to think of Jesus as a good teacher. They like to think of him as a prophet. They like to think of him as a good man. Maybe he did some miracles. But just as I quoted from Hebrews 9.27, he shed his blood for us. He died for us that we might have everlasting life. And all of these elements go together to accomplish this. This is the moment where we stop and we remember what God's done for us. So we turn our attention now in just a little bit to partaking of the Lord's Supper. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we do this, that each one of us are to examine ourselves. So for instance, nobody at Emmanuel would ever come and tell you, you can take, you can take, you can't take. No, each one of us examine ourselves. What does the examination include? Well, the Lord's Supper is for believers. If you're here this morning and you're still on your journey, you haven't given your life to Christ yet, we are so happy you're here, delighted you're here. And we want to help you on that journey. We want you to come to the place where you, like we have, give your life to Christ. But if you haven't done that yet, then we ask you to observe what we're doing but not participate. It's for believers. Secondly, I think that self-examination includes the fact that even as believers, maybe we are not yet ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. As we examine ourselves What's been going on in your life? Have you got pet sin that you don't, you don't want to let go of, you're not repentive of? Is this something that now today is another good reason why we stop so we don't just get too familiar with things? Stop, and this is the place where we go, you know what, Lord, that, that action in my life is wrong. And today's the day to repent. So you can be a clean vessel. 
and partake of the Lord's Supper. Maybe it's not an action. Maybe it's a thought. You know, you can have a thought sin. Everybody sees you from the outside. They think, well, you're a really good person. You're really walking with the Lord. But inside, maybe there's bitterness because a person has hurt you. Maybe anger. Maybe with all the politics and the COVID, you just find yourself being angry. And it's time to recognize there's no place for that in the life of the Christian. Maybe you're struggling with lust or greed. Maybe you're struggling with something else. Remember, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Give that to the Lord. The Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit, by the, by the name of Jesus Christ, sets you free from that. And it's time to win over that, that we might walk in a manner worthy. That's Ephesians 4.1. Walk in a manner worthy of this. So I'd like to lead you in a time of prayer. I'd like to lead you in a time of commitment, a time where you can do business with God himself and ask him to show you sin in your life. Ask him to forgive you, repent of your sin. Ask him that you might go forward, beginning with partaking the Lord's Supper right now, going forward to walk with him. I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds of silence, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Father, you know each one here, and you know their journey that brought them to this very, this very point. And I believe that you've met us here in a divine appointment because you love us with an everlasting love, so much that you sent your Son to die for us. And here, as we point uh, our attention and our focus to the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that this symbolizes his death, his broken body, his shed blood, that we might have everlasting life. We have no desire to continue in sin that grace may abound. We have no desire to walk in the ways of the world. Our wanter has been changed. We want you. We want to walk with you in fellowship and in intimacy. We want to know the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes understanding. We want you. And we declare it here and now. We declare that you are our Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. We choose you. And so, Father, cleanse us. Your word says if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ask for your cleansing. And not just in this moment, but, Father, in the days to come, that we could walk in the newness of life because of the resurrection that we've experienced. We pray all this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. I'd like for you now, those of you who are here with us in person, to take this uh, the, the little uh, communion cup that you have. And if you can tear open the top of it to reveal the wafer. Those of you who are joining us online, if you have elements there, we'd love for you to join us right now. Because the Bible talks about that we should do this as one people. We who have acknowledged that there is one Savior for us, one Lord, now in oneness we do this together. And first Jesus took the bread and he, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he said this, do this in remembrance of me. Will you partake with me? After Jesus took the bread, then he took the cup. And if you haven't torn off that other top, go ahead and do that now.
And when he took the cup, he said, this is a new covenant. You know what Jesus had done? He, he didn't just disregard the old covenant. He fulfilled the old covenant. He became the Lamb of God that didn't just pay the interest, but paid the principle of my sin debt. He shed his blood, not just for me, but for you, that we might have everlasting life. And he says, this is the blood of a new covenant. The new covenant's grace. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer there says this, beginning in verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made by hands. He's talking about the priests of the Old Testament. They went into the Holy of Holies. They either went into the the tabernacle or the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And he says about them, these, these holy places made by hands were copies of, of the real thing or the true thing, that which is in heaven itself. So Christ Jesus went into the holy places, into heaven itself. And then it says this in the end of verse 24, now to appear in the presence of God. Now remember, that's where Jesus came from. He had always known in eternity past the presence of the heavenly Father. But the scripture says, after becoming a human, living a sinless life, going to the cross in his resurrection. In his ascension, he now appears in the presence of God on our behalf. This is what's changed. Muhammad can't go to the Heavenly Father on your behalf. There's nothing in Hinduism that helps you get to the Heavenly Father. It can't substitute for you. Christ Jesus does it on our behalf. Verse 25, still speaking of this references to the Old Testament. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, year after year, with a blood not his own. For then, if that were true, Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly ever since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once, there's another one, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then verse 28 finishes the chapter. This is our benediction this morning. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He's already done that. But to save those that are eagerly awaiting for him. There's one more symbol of the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, uh, with the the bread, he says, when you partake of this, do this in remembrance of me. When he took the cups of uh, speaking of his blood and we partake of this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Those elements are looking backwards. But then he says, so do this as often as you come together, as often as you want, until I come. So there's one part of this that looks backwards, and then there's one part of this that looks forward. Even as the Passover finished, it was Old Covenant, and the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, one day the Lord's Supper will finish. We, we won't partake of the Lord's Supper in heaven. This will be replaced with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Jesus says, 
He says, I'm going to come again, not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He's going to come to receive us who are eagerly awaiting him. Remember at the beginning of the, of the Bible study when I said he changed my wanter? I want him to come back. The Apostle John says as he finishes the, the book of Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know what I discover? I, I don't belong to earth anymore. There's nothing here that can please me. There's nothing here that can satisfy me. It takes divine things. It takes redemptive things. It takes heavenly things because my citizenship is in heaven. That's what I yearn for. That's what I long for. That's what I want. And so the last lesson of the Lord's Supper is Jesus Christ will return. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we have taken some time to study the meaning of the biblical meaning of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we've stopped to partake of the Lord's Supper to remember what our salvation cost, but also to be reminded that we're to walk in a manner worthy of that and that one day you're going to return. And so we pray that this isn't forgotten in a few moments when we hit the parking lot, but that, Father, we will walk in the memory of your crucifixion, your burial, your resurrection, and we will walk looking forward to your return. Father, this we pray in the most holy name of Jesus. Amen. The scripture says in the Gospel of John that on the night that Jesus changed the meaning of the Passover to the Lord's Supper, they were in the upper room. And the scripture says before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang a hymn together. So it always seems to me to be the proper ending. Of that. Will you stand with us? Will you join us as we worship together? listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemmanuel.net.